You're listening to Girls Got Game, Episode 4, Gamers and Communities. This episode is dedicated to my good friend, Nenny. Please be aware that this episode contains explicit language and examples of harassment and abuse that may be upsetting to some listeners. Thank you. What is a gamer? The term gamer has a seemingly straightforward meaning. A person who plays games, according to Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Gamer is frequently used as a catch-all term used to refer to players of games, whether those games be tabletop or video games. But gamer also refers to the gamer identity. The typical image of a gamer is a cisgendered, heterosexual white male below the age of 18. Console games have traditionally been made with this young white male audience demographic in mind. Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto, and various other AAA studio games have all been made for this core gamer demographic. Urban Dictionary's top definition for gamers, as of March 2019, is the most oppressed group in the world. Also the group with the biggest peepees, but never get coochie. If you missed that, that's a euphemism for penis and vagina. Yeah. I'm Riley Fitz, and welcome to Girls Got Game. According to the Entertainment Software Association, 45% of U.S. gamers are women. This sounds like a straightforward statistic, however, this number is misleading because the ESA has a very broad definition of the term gamer. When I asked Professor Amanda Cody about this percentage, this is what she had to say. I do have some issues with how those numbers are measured methodologically. Um, For instance, that number showed up largely after people started measuring casual game audiences, which is great. Casual games have diversified player bases a lot. But casual games are also often looked down on by people who see themselves as real gamers or real developers. Casual games are frequently looked at as not real games by those kinds of parts of the industry. So the association of these high numbers of female players with the rise of casual games I think ghettoizes female players to the margins of gaming rather than in indicating the role that they already have and that they have always played in more traditional game spaces. So I think that those audience numbers are easy for people to dismiss because they see it as, yes, 45% of all gamers, 50% of all gamers are women, but that's all the old ladies playing Farmville. That's not who I'm making my AAA console game for. The identity of a gamer is much different from the catch-all term that some organizations and others use to refer to players of video games. Mobile games are everywhere. Even if mobile games don't count as games to core gamers, there is no denying that they have made a significant impact on the game's market. I spoke to video game economics professor Dimitri Williams about the video game market in February of 2019. Mobile's the largest market by far. Um, Just because if you think about how many people have smartphones, there are a whole lot more of those than there are computers and a whole lot more than there are, um, you know, consoles. 
So even though the people who uh, play those games don't spend as much, you know, per person, per capita, uh, there's so many people that it winds up being, you know, probably the majority of all the money that's spent. Though mobile gamers make up so much of the market, they frequently do not identify as gamers. I, I've done some reading on the gaming identity, and do you think that people are more or less inclined to identify themselves as gamers if they're traditionally like a young male versus somebody of a different demographic? Yes, absolutely. And actually, there's a degree of empirical evidence about it. Adrian Shaw, again, uh, the author of Gaming at the Edge, has an article called, I believe the title is, Do You Identify as a Gamer? I believe it came out in the journal Games and Culture a few years ago. And she found that, yes, people who are not stereotypical gamers, young, straight, white, cisgender men, are far less likely to call themselves gamers, in part because they don't feel like others would call them that, but also in part because they don't want to be associated with that stereotype. I do think overall the term gamer, a lot of people are becoming less comfortable with due to things like Gamergate, due to not wanting to be associated with that vocal negative minority of players. Um, But I think that not wanting to call yourself a gamer is particularly prominent among people who don't fit that stereotypical identity in whatever way. As mentioned in the last episode, Fandoms are spaces in which a shared love for a particular media production, or series of media productions, is considered the cultural norm. Fandoms with large followings have the potential to become great sources of camaraderie, but can also become incredibly volatile. This type of persistent negativity is usually described as toxicity. Video games involving online play are notorious for toxicity as well as extreme versions of it, like harassment or swatting. Swatting is the act of calling in an address to police as a prank. A swatter will tell police that a violent act is occurring at that address and then wait for the SWAT team to descend upon it. They may not even be in the same state or even the general vicinity when they make the call, but that doesn't stop the SWAT team from being deployed. Following the rise in popularity of video game live streaming, Swatting became a way to create a spectacle in the gaming community, as the police raid might unfold on the live feed from the victim's home. This prank is far from harmless. In 2017, Call of Duty player Casey Vinner recruited Tyler Barris, a known swatter, to punish Shane Gaskill. Gaskill is another Call of Duty player with whom Vinner had a dispute at the time. Vinner gave Barris an address that he believed to belong to Gaskill, but actually belonged to 28-year-old Andrew Finch. Finch was fatally shot by a responding officer on his front doorstep, leaving behind two children. Barris was arrested and pled guilty to more than 50 charges. He was sentenced on Friday, March 29, 2019, to 20 years of federal prison for making numerous hoax calls, including the swatting incident, and bomb threats against schools. Some popular video game streamers have been victims of swatting, including contentious Overwatch streamer Felix XQC Lingyel. XQC is known for his outspoken and often toxic behavior within the Overwatch community. The incident unfolded live on his stream, likely while the caller watched their work unfold. High-ranked Overwatch streamers Francine Fran Vo and Fariha Anderson are no strangers to toxic interactions in-game. 
Unfortunately for them, just by speaking, they can be recognized as deviating from the typical gamer profile. Sometimes, when women play video games that require voice communications, like games like Overwatch, they'll forego comms altogether. This is due to the fact that they are so quickly and easily identified as being female through linguistic profiling. Dr. Kishona Gray explains this in her book Race, Gender, and Deviance in Xbox Live. Quote, Scholars have long studied linguistic stereotypes, finding discrimination based on accents and dialects against speakers of various ethnic backgrounds. What is seen in the American context is that voice discrimination and linguistic profiling is used as an effective means to filter out individuals who may be deemed inferior, leading one to not engage in meaningful relationships with this type of other. End quote. Even though players put themselves at a disadvantage by choosing not to communicate with their teams, their decision has merit in consideration of some types of harassment that they may face. I asked Fran and Fariha about their experiences with in-game toxicity and harassment. The thing with Overwatch was I, when I first played Overwatch, um, I was in the uh, Masters range. So I never got to experience what it's like, you know, in Diamond and Lower. But even then in Masters, I got probably one out of 50 games would be someone making a comment that was toxic um, towards my gender. And then... When I finally hit Grandmaster, I it's like one in like a hundred. It's much less the higher you go up, it feels like. Do do people ever like make toxic comments about your gender? Oh yeah, they do. I've uh I've heard it all. I've heard um go back to the kitchen and especially because I play DPS, so um the damage heroes in the game. Uh, you have like the three classes, right? You have damage and you have the tank and support, and usually um, the stereotype at least is that girls tend to play support or some play tank and um and it's it's quite rare to see like a female dps main and so people see that in game and if they you know don't know of me and they don't know that i've you know proven myself more than enough they will target me and they will scapegoat me in um in matches that are going downhill now there seems to be an easy solution to encountering harassing behavior in an online game simply leave the match, close the game, unplug your console. However, as players of online games know, evading harassment is not that simple. Games like Overwatch, which are played in real time and cannot be paused, discourage leaving a game early through in-game penalties. This behavior is most strongly condemned in competitive, also called ranked, play. Should a player leave the match for any reason, and fail to return before the match concludes, they will receive a penalty, a 50-point reduction in rank, and a temporary suspension which lengthens with each successive offense. This system is intended to prevent rage quitting, which means quitting the game in a rage. Leaving the game early provides the enemy team with an irreconcilable advantage and almost guarantees your team a loss. This lowers your teammates' rank, it's supposed to prevent toxicity. However, if a member of your team is harassing you, then you must stay or you will be punished by the game's systems that were intended to prevent that behavior. The issue is like Overwatch doesn't crack down on reports hard enough. Mm-hmm. If someone's really bad, like really bad, the most they get is suspended. 
but most in most cases um if someone's just you know really toxic really um really intense on voice comps he will at most get a ban from using voice chat that's it mm -hmm. you may be able to report the player after the match has ended but that doesn't do you any good in the present Thankfully, new systems have started to emerge to police these behaviors, as game developers have come to recognize that community moderating is necessary. When Xbox Live launched in 2002, few systems had been implemented to curb undesirable behavior. As the years went on, Microsoft started to try to police the problems, but to date the system still needs tweaking. In-game reporting systems have started to become more sophisticated in contrast. League of Legends invested heavily in the research of player behavior with the tribunal system. This system allowed players to judge each other's reported actions, like a jury of peers. If a player's actions were deemed worthy of punishment by the majority reviewing the incident, they would receive a penalty and possibly be banned from the game. League of Legends employed the help of behavioral scientists to assist with a kind of civil engineering to change player behavior to something more likely to contribute to a positive environment. As I was speaking with Professor Amanda Cody about this, she informed me that League of Legends had recently discontinued the use of the tribunal system. Yes, they argued that they had learned enough from the tribunal system to kind of automate reporting and punishments. Um, but evidence from player communities suggests that the automated system is actually not that effective. Leaving it up to an algorithm seems a bit risky. Yes, in particular because I was reading an article recently, I forget who it's by, but the author was demonstrating evidence that things like harassment and negativity and the kind of toxic behaviors we expect from a lot of game communities those things only happen in an environment that signals support for those behaviors. So the issue with algorithms is that they don't change the underlying cultural expectations. They institute a penalty that impacts people briefly, but they don't actually change what people think the community should be. And so the only way to really get long-term change over time is by constructing a community that in some ways self-pleases, that treats things like harassment and toxicity as unacceptable. If you don't have that level of underlying cultural change, everything else is a band-aid. It'll solve the problem briefly, but not actually heal the underlying issue. Overwatch instituted the endorsement system, in contrast, in 2018. This system rates players on a scale of 1 to 5, 5 being the highest, based on feedback from other players. The game displays this rating on a badge beside a player's player icon and cannot be hidden, even if they hide their profile. At the end of every match, a player has the option to reward three of his or her teammates or enemies with an endorsement. The more endorsements a player receives, the higher rating is displayed on their badge. Blizzard came out in late March and demonstrated internal evidence that incidents of toxicity have decreased by 40% since the introduction of this system. There are still plenty of problems, as the community still has a reputation of being incredibly incensed. But if this statistic is to be believed, the situation is slowly improving. 
The ability to play in prearranged groups through the Looking for Group feature, also implemented in 2018, has likely contributed to this, as the Looking for Group feature allows players to communicate with potential teammates before being locked into a game. They can leave without penalty if behavior becomes harassing before the game starts. According to Quantic Foundry, first-person shooter and tactical shooter games have one of the lowest populations of female players of all video game genres. However, this is speculated to be not due to a lack of skill, but rather due to other factors. Overwatch has a 16% female player base. That's about double that of other first-person shooter games. Dr. Nick Yi, one of the two founders of video game research organization Quantic Foundry, states in a blog post that this is likely because of the bright colors in Overwatch, as well as the creative ways to kill enemies, as women tend to be more likely to be selective about how they kill their opponents. He reports that women tend to find guns to be the least creative way to kill an opponent. Overwatch is not a typical first-person shooter. It's colorful and dynamic, and with 30 different characters to choose from and more on the horizon, there are many different ways to kill your opponents. Some weapons include shurikens, energy blasts, rocket launchers, and flails. Other characters don't do much killing at all, and instead support their allies. As Professor Zek Valkyrie explains in his book Game Worlds Get Real, quote, role systems, like the Holy Trinity, which includes tanks to soak up enemy damage, healers to keep players alive, and DPS, or damage per second, to focus on killing monsters, are common in game worlds, end quote. Overwatch incorporates this role system almost to a T. The only difference is that it calls healers supports, even though the terms are used interchangeably. Fran plays support, while Fariha tends to play DPS. Both Fran and Fariha have achieved the rank of Grandmaster, the second to highest possible skill tier, and, at different times, have been numbered within the top 500 players of their regions, the highest tier. Both were approached by professional Overwatch League teams in order to represent a team as streamers. Fran represents Atlanta Reign, while Fariha streams for Seoul Dynasty. Though neither play in the Overwatch League matches, they are both one of less than 10 female players involved in the league, the most famous being Kim Se-yun, or Geguri, the only female player in the league. Geguri didn't get a free ride to the Overwatch League as a token girl. She earned it. During one of her first competitions, less than two months after the game's official release in 2016, the broadcast feed of the tournament focused on what she was seeing as a player. Her crosshair placement, which determines the accuracy of a player's aim, made a jump that seemed too precise to be natural. As a result, players on the enemy team accused her of using aim assist software, also known as an aimbot, in order to achieve this precise movement. One of them even threatened to come to her house with a knife if the incident affected their relationships with their sponsors. Following the accusations and an internal review by Blizzard, it was determined that her skill was the real deal. The broadcast had cut to her screen just a second too long to make the movement look artificial. In proving that she had the skill, Geguri became a reluctant icon and was recruited by the Overwatch League team, the Shanghai Dragons, two years later in 2018. 
Geguri doesn't want to be known for her gender, but rather for her skill. Even so, she has been hailed as an icon in South Korea and has inspired millions of girls throughout the world by being the first women to play Overwatch at the professional level. The ability of girls to play competitively was also contested during January of 2019, but for a different reason. The Overwatch League has a league just below it called Contenders, in which teams compete to show their skill in much the same way, but not quite at the professional level as Overwatch League, in the hopes of getting picked up by a professional team. With the rise and rank of a player called Ellie, rumored to be a 17-year-old girl new to Overwatch, came a contender's contract offer from the team Second Wind. Things snowballed from there. So what the, the, what the Ellie experiment was is... Um... So, uh, some some dude thought it would be a good idea to run a social experiment where he posed as a female in game and just like on social media presence in general got picked up by a semi-pro uh, team that was uh, one of the top teams in all of contenders so like just right under the the tier of uh, professional play like top tier overwatch and and um this person came out of nowhere and people were skeptical but um people started harassing them for it because it seemed fishy, you know, it seemed fishy. And um, it just went on and on and on. And eventually it was leaked that this girl was actually a guy. And then people were just fucking outraged. And so I, my take on the whole situation was um, a lot of the quote unquote um, sexism that she faced. She, again, quote unquote, she was, um, was not because of gender, I think. A lot of it was just because the whole freaking thing was so suspicious because, again, in such a high-ranked uh, environment, everybody knows each other. And to have hit rank 5 of all of North America, you would have to, you would have to play a lot of games. And uh, to play all those games, you would have to run into people and people would have to know you. Right? They, they would have to hear about you, they would have to hear your voice and things like that. But no one had heard of this person and that was the sort of source of a lot of skepticism. Um, not the fact that she was a girl. Like the the fact that she was a girl exacerbated it. Sure, it made made it that it garnered a lot more attention uh, than it than were it to be Eli or something. But I think that's where a lot of the backlash came from. I think that was a joke that those immature little boys did, but it got out of hand. So they decided to cover it up, saying it was a social experiment. Um. I think it made us look really bad. They're using how girls get treated in gaming and it, they made us like the butt of a joke. You know what I mean? Um, I, for one, wanted it to be a girl so bad. Like I wanted it to be real. I wanted to see more women competing at a very high level, but you know, it turned out the other way around. So I like people were kind of like harassing. They're like, oh, like we're going to release your name and address like this and that. and. They're like, there's no way you're a girl. Like, people were upset that the first thing people were doing were asking if it's, you know, a female or not. But it's, I, I personally didn't think that. I think it was more so, you can't just, like, a 4,600 player, girl or boy, just doesn't appear out of nowhere. Especially starting from, like, season 11. Like, that's literally impossible. So I think that was more of the concern than it being a girl. But then, you know, you have the people who actually do believe that they're like there's no way there's a girl that's that good and that that kind of shies a lot of females away from wanting to pursue pro especially knowing that ellie when at the time there's no proof that she wasn't a girl was getting harassed 
In 2012 and 2013, one of the popular internet memes was that of the fake geek girl. This meme often features the image of a young, attractive female adult, sometimes holding a game controller or wearing a gaming headset, with text superimposed on the image that highlights her true lack of knowledge about games or fandom culture. To quote Nina B. Huntman's explanation from her essay, Attention Whores and Ugly Nerds, published in the Gaming Representation book in 2017, quote, The meme is a comment on girls and women who pretend to know about geek or nerd culture to garner male attention. The discursive effect of the meme is to frame female participation in geek or nerd culture as always suspect, end quote. In 2019, this attitude had returned to the limelight after several years of simmering dormancy. The Ellie incident wasn't even an issue of sexism at first, even though it was reported on in that manner, and certainly there were incidents of sexism directed at the Ellie Twitter account. The part of the incident that was suspicious was not the fact that Ellie was a girl, but that she rose through the ranks so quickly, in spite of the fact that she was supposedly a new player. As Fran and Faree has said, that sort of thing just doesn't happen. So the problem was that this actually was an instance of a male playing while a girl spoke into the headset, which happens incredibly rarely. Ellie was a fake geek girl, and the internet trolls latched onto the idea with all of the viciousness of a cyber mob. The Ellie Twitter account was bombarded with harassing messages, as if this would prove a point about how male and female esports competitors are treated as if we didn't know already. Thankfully, the Ellie controversy died down after about a month, but the negative attitudes are clearly still here. The fact that the immediate response was a condemnation of sexist attitudes proves that the industry is starting to change, even if the situation didn't exactly fit the profile of an incident calling for condemnation. I grew up where in a, in a situation where... Um, boys played video games and girls played with dolls. It was looked down upon um, for females to play games and I actually got bullied throughout school for playing video games, for being that weird girl who played video games all day. But but the thing is nowadays, in the recent generations, the younger generations, for if you play, if you are good at Fortnite, you are the most popular kid at school. If, you, if you're, it's, wide, it's way more widely accepted that females are playing video games nowadays. And so that's why I think these generations, these girls, are going to be the ones that are going to be pro, you know, in five, ten years or so. Slowly but surely, strides are being made toward a more inclusive environment in the game industry. As developers and players start to recognize that harassment has no place in the gaming community, harassment will decline. Equal opportunity will come about. We're not quite there yet, but we're getting much closer. In any case, a player's gender shouldn't matter as much as their gaming skill does. Studies have demonstrated that any gendered gap in mechanical skill in video games can be bridged easily with just a bit of practice. Gender has no bearing on gaming skill. Skill relies on the strength of your brain and thus removes the need for gendered tournaments as seen in physical sports. Men and women stand on equal ground in video games, and it's time to stop forcing this gendered distinction. Thank you for listening to Girls Got Game. This podcast would not have been possible without the help of several individuals whom I would like to thank now. To Fran and Friha, thank you for lending me your time and for your wonderful enthusiasm. It's contagious. To Dr. Kishona Gray, 
Professor Amanda Cody, Professor Dimitri Williams, and to Mr. David Carter, thank you so much for your insight and instruction. I could not have done this without your help. To the Computer History Museum, thank you for allowing me to use clips from your interview with Jean Jennings Bartik. Thank you to my professors who supported me along this journey, as well as my classmates who had to put up with me waxing poetic about Overwatch without a clue what I was talking about. Thank you to my roommates for putting up with me yelling at all hours of the night. And thank you to all the girls I've met online who stood in solidarity with everyone who gets flack for daring to exist as a woman. For the resources consulted in the development of this podcast, please check out my SoundCloud, The Girls Got Game Podcast. I'm Riley Fitz. Thank you again, and take care.